Hi there, and welcome to the Praying Christian Women podcast. I'm Jamie Hampton, and today I get to be here with Rachel Lewis. Rachel is an adoptive foster and biological mom. She's the founder of the online support group, Brave Mamas, a safe place to grieve a child. She's also a blogger and author of Unexpecting, Real Talk on Pregnancy Loss. Rachel, thank you so much for being here and just for sharing your story with our listeners today. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Um, it's such a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Well, we like to ask our um, all of our guests before we get into talking about our topic, what is your favorite prayer closet or where do you go to feel the closest to God? So I would say... Um, I don't, I don't have that right now, like a very specific place. Um, I think in different seasons in my past, um, I, I set aside very intentional time to, to read my Bible and to pray. And what I found, and this might just be me, um, but as I set aside a designated time, I, I started having all of the distractions of like things that I still need to do that day, Mm -hmm. or, um, or maybe I'm just so exhausted from having kids that I'd like fall asleep. And so, um, it's kind of like, I'm, I'm in this season now where, um, rather than having that dedicated place or that dedicated time, um, I feel like when I communicate to God, it is sometimes very short. Um, but just in the moment, So if something is happening or coming up, um, it's just in my heart and in my spirit where I, um, just communicate, like, this is what I need, or please help me, or, um, you know, this is the situation. And so rather than it being this one big thing I do each day, um, where I was feeling like I was failing at it, um, I'm just choosing to embrace that God is with me always. And, uh, in this season, it's okay to just, um, communicate in this, in this way to him. I love that. And you bring up such a good point because as I've over the years of doing this podcast, we ask all of our listeners over the, you know, what, what their favorite prayer closets are. And I've realized that mine has changed over time. There've been different times that at different seasons, I have different places and ways and times. And I think it's so important to acknowledge that there are seasons to everything. It's biblical. And Mm -hmm. there is a time, you know, I think back to when I was in college and relatively carefree, when I had these like extended journaling times, I had, Mm -hmm. um, a a growing closeness with God during that time. And there've been times along the way where those things have changed drastically. And I think, um, whether it's like, we'll talk about today, um, deeply painful things that happen that shift and reassess and shake up our relationship with God to the point where things aren't going to always look the same. And that is okay. And I think I love the kind of highlight of it's okay to, to have things change and for your prayer life to look different and, um, and to evolve and to sometimes feel like it's going backwards because it never is a relationship with God is it, it's not going backwards. It's not going forward. It's it's you're, you're partnering and it's changing and that's good. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm appreciate that reminder. Yeah. And I like to, you know, as you, as you shared that, it brought to mind the fact that, um, you know, as humans, we have relationships that grow, Mm. um, and it's not just verbal communication that causes us to have a deeper relationship with each other. Sometimes it's walking through experiences together, Mm -hmm. even if that's not, you know, us just sitting there talking about it. And I think we have the same experience with God where we can experience, um, you know, our, our faith and experience him and experience the support and grow uh, deeper because we've walked through something together. Mm -hmm. Um, even if that means we're not directly, you know, we're not directly talking to him about it, but we're just letting, you know, allowing him to be in this space with us and experiencing something with us, um, and acknowledging that. I think that that can also be, um, I guess a form of prayer in a sense, uh, I guess, a, a way of deepening our relationship. I agree. And I love, I always call them shout out prayers just, and that's the kind of prayer that I find myself in, in this season of life too, is just, I do a lot of the shout out prayers where it's just like, I'm in a situation. I know God is with me. And I feel like those 
kinds of prayers are the, the, the practice of the presence of God. It's kind of like a, um, a, a growth in just realizing he's always there and, and that it's not like you have to carve out time necessarily to, um, tap into God's presence because he's in you. He, the Holy spirit's living in you. It doesn't mean that there aren't times where that's a good thing to have that set aside time. But I just think there is a familiarity and a, a depth of relationship that leads to that kind of just prayer on the fly. Like, Hey, we have this relationship. It's okay. I can just call you up and say, Hey, can you help me out here? Right. <laughs> Cause exactly. we have that, that rapport. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you know, I kind of in the introduction talked about how you have this blog, um, you blog for several different outlets. Is that right? Yes. Um, I have guest contributed, um, to, uh, still standing magazine and pregnancy after law support, um, just recently started, uh, blogging for her view from home, um, and a couple others. Uh, so, so yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a long time, about 10 years ago. Now I started my blog, um, and it's been an incredible journey and opportunity to write for different, different publications and to be able to share my words and hopefully encourage other people. Yeah. Well, I know that you have, and just in reading your book, Unexpecting, and just knowing that you have this online support group, that's a safe place for women to come. Um, I just, um, appreciate all that you're doing and the fact that you're taking such a personal, painful story and putting it out there. Cause that is gotta be, that's gotta be very difficult in and of itself. But, um, would you be okay sharing that story about what inspired you to do all of these things? Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to give you the cliff notes version. And if mm-hmm. you want to ask me more about any part of that, please do. Mm-hmm. Um, so our first, my first pregnancy, uh, tried to go wrong in a million ways. Um, I, uh, felt disconnected in the pregnancy. Um, my husband and I had only been married for 10 months and I just wasn't ready yet. I had just, I hadn't even gotten used to being a wife, let alone adding on the title of mom. And so, um, so it kind of surprised me because I'd always wanted to be a mom. Um, but I was feeling that disconnect. And then at eight weeks I hemorrhaged and, um, I was given a 50, 50 chance of miscarrying the baby. Um, at that time I was already getting platitudes. So these, these sayings of, well, it's just not the right time or, um, you know, this is nature's way or God's way of taking care of unhealthy babies. And so I hadn't even yet miscarried and, and here I was already on the receiving end of these platitudes. And it turns out that I had not miscarried. Um, I, uh, her heart was still beating. And then at 28 weeks, I had threatened uh, premature labor. And then at 36 weeks, I developed something that's called help syndrome. And um, basically it just sort of meant my body organ by organ was, was, being very damaged uh, to the point where it was a life-threatening situation for me as well as for our baby. And in fact, her heart rate dropped for eight minutes um, down to the fifties, which is very dangerous and scary, of course. And they did an emergency C-section and we both lived, um, which was a miracle and a blessing. But it was also uh, an experience that gave me some post-traumatic stress and uh, that was not well supported because of the whole, well, as long as, as long as, you know, the baby's healthy, then everything's fine. Um, but for me, everything was not fine and it, and it was a struggle. Uh, we decided that we were going to pursue adoption the next time we had, or we wanted to expand our family. Um, my husband was terrified of being put in the position again of potentially choosing between uh you know, me or the baby, like he just was like, I never want to face that decision and I don't want you to lose your life. So, um, so it was actually right after we got our license to adopt from foster care that I found out that I was, uh, unexpectedly expecting again. And this time, I guess maybe because I'd given up on the idea of pregnancy, um, this time I was excited. I was, um, deeply invested and unfortunately that pregnancy ended, um, when my fallopian tube tore 
And I was rushed into emergency surgery because our baby had been ectopic. And of my surgeon was able to save my life. Obviously I'm here. Um, she was able to save my fertility, but she was not able to save our baby. And so I woke up from the anesthesia, um, just in deep, deep grief. And, uh, that deep and heavy grief stayed with me for so very long. And I was very confused because in, uh, how do I say this? I feel like people supported me to the best of their ability. And I know that people cared. So when I say this, I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus. Um, but what confused me is that all of my life, I'd been getting these very strong pro-life messages about the importance of an unborn baby. Mm-hmm. But when I miscarried or, you know, lost our baby due, due to ectopic pregnancy, um, I was instead receiving comments such as, well, this was just God's timing or God has a lesson in this, or, um, you know, you must be so strong because God gives his hardest battles to his strongest warriors. I mean, there was just a lot of platitudes and it was almost like whiplash, um, because these, these values, uh, that I, in messages that I was receiving were just so very different. And it, like I shared in my book, it also started in me a very deep and difficult uh, time of questioning God, because the first time I was in a position of um, possibly losing a baby uh, with our first with our first pregnancy, I prayed. Um, I asked other people to pray. I listened to worship music, and you know, God pulled pulled through and our baby was born alive. And so when we were in the position again of, uh, you know, possibly losing a baby, we, we had found out a few days before my Philippian tube tour that, that things were maybe not going as, uh, well as we'd hoped. Um, so when I was in that position, I was still praying and I was still listening to the worship songs and asking other people and doing all the same things. And this time, um, and this time my baby didn't make it. And not only did she not make it, but she was already implanted in, in my fallopian tube. I mean, there was nothing that could have been done. Um, and so I really struggled with what is God's role in, in my losses? Um, what can I count on him for? Mm-hmm. Uh, why, why is it that I am being faithful and I'm, I'm being confronted with all of this pain? And, and then this, new vulnerability of like, okay, well, actually people that I love can die and, um, things that I want so badly, like a healthy baby, um, those things are still out of my control. And so, uh, that sort of was a very, very deep, deep wrestling. And in that time of, of loneliness and my grief, I relied on other people's stories to sort of feel tethered, to feel some sense of normalcy in what I was experiencing. And I realized that um, these strangers basically on the internet who were, who were writing and putting their stories out there, that they gave me a community that I so desperately needed. And so that's what prompted me to start my blog. Um, because I figured if I'm walking through this, this deep grief and these questions and all of this, you know, not knowing, um, and these fertility struggles, then surely somebody else out there is also walking through it. And maybe by me being honest about my story, maybe that will help somebody else. And, you know, I can't change this situation. I can't change what I'm walking through, but at the very least, maybe something good can come from it. So that's really what prompted, um, the book, the support group that you mentioned brave mamas, and then also the blog and, um, a quick, quick ending of our story. We, we had gone on to it. We went on to experience four more pregnancy losses. Um, all of them unexplained back to back, um, in the first trimester. And we were able to adopt a beautiful baby girl, um, our second daughter, And we also fostered a son. Uh, We had him for a year and a half from five months to almost two. 
And then we needed to reunify him with his family. And that prompted a very different, but also very real grief of, of, uh, you know, loss of relationship, um, with our, with our foster son. And then I was able to finally get pregnant, you know, five years after our last, I got pregnant again. And this time our baby was able to stay. And that's my rainbow baby who actually just turned five recently. And through all of that, we, we then actually, uh, fostered the same son again. Um, he came back into care and we had him for an additional two years. And, uh, then we had to reunify him again with his family, uh, in like the summer of 2021, no 2020, sorry. So it's been a roller coaster and, uh, there's been a lot of loss and loss of control and, um, you know, very, just a struggle in, in, in building a family and kind of creating a family. And then, um, yeah, just, yeah, just all of, all of that, that goes with, with loss and foster care and adoption and (laughs) and everything. It's a whole package. That is a lot. And so as I was reading through the different steps, uh, the different sections of your book, loss, lament, love, and legacy, I did the thing that came to my mind um, as something kind of parallel in terms of loss, but very different also is someone giving a child up for adoption and that Mm. kind of loss being maybe similar, you know, maybe these steps would be similar. Mm -hmm. You brought up fostering and then having to, you know, give up this child that you've raised for a certain amount of time. Um, do you feel like some of these steps, do you feel like these steps are very specific to the loss of a child after having carried that child? Or do you feel like, um, like they could also be useful to someone in an adoption situation or a fostering situation? Um, I absolutely believe that if, um, you have a different kind of loss, not, not, just a pregnancy lost and not just an infant loss, um, or an infant death. Um, I definitely feel that this, these steps in, in grief and grieving and a lot of the tips in the book, um, that those definitely are more universal, um, that, that some, that it would be helpful for someone in in various situations. I mean, uh, the, the support group that I have brave mamas is actually open to anyone who is grieving a child in any capacity, like their Mm -hmm. own child. So Mm -hmm. whether that's even through infertility, not being able to have a child, Mm -hmm. um, or whether that is, I, you know, my, I lost my child through the foster care system, or, um, I placed a baby for adoption. So, or even we have women who's, who have had adult children die. The idea of the group is that our grief for our children, um, unites us in a way that is, that is bigger than just the individual kinds of losses that we've experienced, um, that we have more to offer each other and that we can support each other, even if the particulars of our grief might be a little bit different. And so, um, that is one of the things that I, that I love about our group. And admittedly, some people may not need that or may not want that. They may want a support group that's very specific to their kind of loss. And there are those support groups out there. And I, there's many that I would recommend. Um, but what I value about Brave Mamas is our inclusivity and um, willingness to just see each other as a briefed mom. Do you have any women that are part of that group that have had abortions and are grieving that choice? We have uh, women in our group who have terminated for medical reasons. And um, that is, um, so, so yes, to answer your question, yes. Uh, that specific kind of loss is, is such a challenge and it's, uh, you know, fraught with politics and, and very strong opinions and, and very strong belief systems. And so the women who are faced with this situation, um, they actually don't have the kind of support for their grief, uh, that they deserve to have. And so, um, so I'm, I'm very thankful that they have seen our group as a safe place, um, to be able to say, you know, this, 
this was a, the decision that I was faced with. Um, and, and I'm left reeling and broken and hurting and I need, I need that kind of support. So I hope that answers your question. It does. It does. Well, I want to backtrack a little bit to a comment that you made that just, um, the seeming contrast between the pro-life life is important. We value unborn life Mm -hmm. and the seeming disconnect between that and supporting women who have suffered the loss of a child, um, Mm -hmm. particularly a child that, that hasn't come full term. And so I feel like, um, for me personally, I have a friend in my life that I did not support. I look back and, and just through the last, even through reading your book. And, um, I feel like I need to have a conversation with her about that because I didn't know, I didn't understand. Um, I was barely a mom myself when it happened and it just, it something, it didn't click with me. And in the many years since I have grown to understand. And, um, but I, I just really think that there's, like you said, well-meaning people, but I think there's a lack of understanding and education about, uh, just, just about what happens Mm -hmm. to a woman when she goes Mm -hmm. through the loss of a child. And, um, you even touch on it in the book about even your spouse, you know, your husband Mm -hmm. and how there's kind of a disconnect between even the person closest to you, who's a kind, loving person, but just not understanding. So I guess, could you share that story just about the, the situation with your husband and kind of the disconnect with him and, and being able to relate to what you were going through? Yeah. So, um, I think maybe the story you're thinking about is, uh, as I had mentioned, there was a couple days there before my fallopian tube tour Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, we had reason to suspect that, uh, again, the pregnancy could go either way. I could miscarry or I could carry, um, our baby to term. And so, um, we were planning on, uh, going on vacation on Saturday and so, um, on the Friday before I was supposed to go in to get some blood work and I went in and I heard from the nurse and she said, uh, you know, your numbers have gone up, which is really encouraging. Um, but they didn't quite double. And so we are still slightly concerned, but, um, but the numbers did go up. So I had a lot of hope. And then suddenly, um, I started bleeding and cramping and, um, I was trying to hide it uh, because, I mean, I told my husband what was happening, but I had my two-year-old with me. I didn't want to alarm alarm her in any capacity. And maybe that was my way of dealing was just to try to pretend Mm -hmm. like it wasn't happening. And so at one point my husband comes up uh, Friday night and he's like, so grandpa invited us to dinner. Like, are you ready to go to dinner? And I was like, uh, are you crazy? <laughs> no, <laughs> like, what are you thinking? I don't want to go to dinner right now. Um, and he's like, well, I don't get it. You're just bleeding kind of like, well, you're, you, you're on your period all the time. So, and you, you can still function in life. So why, why would this be different? And, um, I don't think he was trying to be callous or Mm -hmm. cruel or insensitive. Um, I think he was trying to be practical. We have a two-year-old who needs to eat and neither of us are in the mood to cook. Uh, so, so, so there's kind of this disconnect of like my entire focus, um, really just was very internal and what was going on with my body and my uterus and, and trying, I, I mean, I, I don't know how to explain it, but just trying so hard to hold on to the pregnancy and just fighting against the cramps and fighting against the blood loss and, um, you know, just being so conflicted because I didn't have control over what was happening with my body. And, and then there's my husband who's kind of like, well, I mean, I don't have control of the situation, but I, I can control what we eat for dinner. So he, you know, he's just off in his own little world. Um, and so I think, um, 
you know, I think that when it comes to the, the loss of pregnancy, even if we are going through the same pregnancy loss as partners, we can experience the actual loss so very differently. Mm-hmm. Um, for, oh, for the partner who is experiencing the loss, it can be, um, you know, it's, it's a very mind, body, heart, soul connection to this pregnancy. I mean, this is happening to your body. It's a visceral experience. And for many women, that could even mean that their milk is going to come in after the loss or that they, many women have to go in and have, uh, have surgery. Um, you know, in my experience, when I went into surgery, um, I remember, my OB walking me through the, uh, through the hospital and, or, or, you know, through the hallway to get to the OR room. And she said, I don't know how bad you are inside. I don't know if, um, I'm going to have to take everything. You know, she's just like, I, I might have to do a full hysterectomy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much blood loss you're going to have. We might have to do a transfusion. So, um, you know, I went into surgery, honestly, believing there was a possibility that I just wasn't going to wake up. Um, and so, so for me, I had that, that kind of trauma and I didn't actually realize for many months that my husband had gone through trauma as well, even though he didn't experience it viscerally. Mm. Um, when I called him from the doctor's office and said, you know, I was in excruciating pain uh, from, from my fallopian tube tearing. And I called him and I said, you need to come to the hospital right away. They're doing surgery. Um, he also thought I was going to die. And so, you know, he, he ran to his car, um, to come to the hospital and then he got in his car and then he froze, which actually is a very typical reaction for guys. And I can explain why in a minute, but, um, but all of a sudden he didn't, he was like, he just like, just felt incapacitated to move. And he eventually called his dad and then couldn't even get out the words, um, you know, just overcome with this, this grief, because not only was he grieving, um, our baby, but at the same time he was grieving, um, you know, and had had this huge fear and concern for me, um, which was very traumatic for him. So, we can experience something and yet, and yet it's so very different. And for a guy, you know, since it's not a visceral connection to the baby, they don't have the baby in their tummy. These, these surgeries or these, these losses are not happening to them physically. Um, they can feel, uh, like the grief and the loss is a little bit more ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Um, and their losses are and their experience of grief is actually often disenfranchised people in, in their rush of support for the women, because we often think of pregnancy loss as a woman's issue. Um, in rushing to the women, they often either bypass the partners entirely, or they go to the partner and say, how can I support your wife? Mm. How can I support your girlfriend? Um, and so here they are wrestling with loss, traumatized, often um, hurting themselves. And, and now they're in charge of, you know, coordinating care for their wife and providing care for their wife and letting everybody know. Um, and their own need for support gets often just completely blown over and people, people don't acknowledge that. Um, so they can experience more delayed grief where for a time their entire their entire focus is just on their partner. And the, you know, the woman might be like, are you even grieving? Do you even care? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and he might be like, of course I care, but also I'm making sure that all the bills are being paid. I'm, I'm, I'm making sure that you are okay. I'm making sure you have all that you need. I'm giving you the space to sort of fall apart. Um, and I'm trying to hold things together. And then sometimes you'll see this, this sort of shift that, that as the woman, as the partner who had the loss starts to fall to kind of, um, kind of pull herself together a little bit more. She's a little bit more functional that kind of subconsciously gives the hint to the guy. Okay. Now it's safe for me to start dealing with my grief. And Mm. so, so their grief is often very delayed and there's this miscommunication of like, you know, do you actually care? Do you actually understand? Um, 
And they do. It's just that their experience of grief and their experience of loss looks often very different. We just wanted to take a quick break to share about a sponsor of today's episode, Faithful Counseling. Let's face it, life can be hard. It's so important to show up for yourself and your loved ones through all of the struggles life can bring. One way you can do this is by checking in regularly with a Christian therapist. We know not everyone has the time or the money for in-person therapy, but thanks to Faithful Counseling, Christian therapy can be accessible to anyone. You can speak to your counselor by video, phone, or text. Scheduling is so easy, and financial aid is available. I recently started using Faithful Counseling myself, and I admit I had never been to a therapist, and I was kind of nervous about the process. But I was shocked at how easy it was to get started, how convenient it is to communicate with my counselor, and how easy she is to talk to. We would love for you to find out for yourself how beneficial Christian counseling can be. So our sponsor, Faithful Counseling, is offering you 10% off your first month when you use our special link at faithfulcounseling.com slash praying. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. That is such a good point. And that is, you know, that I, and I think for both women and men in their own way, we, you know, have a tendency to put on the, the front for the people that need us. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, for you trying to put on a show, not a show, but fake it till you make it with your daughter. So as not Mm -hmm. to alarm her. Um, And I know just in my own experience with my friend that, that went through loss um, just not expressing the full extent of the grief or maybe expressing it for a moment. And then, and then the people that are, that are seeing that aren't seeing the full extent of it. They're seeing the tip of the iceberg. And I think as the body of Christ, we need to perceive the iceberg and Mm -hmm. we need to realize like any other kind of loss or grief that we, as the observers can Mm -hmm. say, okay, there's this set amount of time that it's okay, you know, but then, then we move on and we just ignore it. And there is, it's, I imagine a lifetime of loss and grief Mm -hmm. that isn't as intense as that first part. But I think that first part probably extends way longer than everyone understands. Could you like Mm -hmm. just give some insights for people that are not experiencing that or have not gone through it themselves, how can we do better? Like, how can we try to see the iceberg more? And what are the specific things, both in just our attitudes, in our approach and in our actions, how can we support women and men that are going through these losses? Mm -hmm. Well, I think, um, so uh, so, so sort of broadly to, to kind of help somebody, I think, um, be able to understand what was lost, uh, culturally when someone loses a pregnancy, we often say, okay, so she was only six weeks pregnant. So what did she lose? She lost six weeks of pregnancy. Um, but that's not what she lost. Uh, what she lost was a, a baby and a child that um, she was anticipating having a lifetime relationship with um, that would forever change the dynamics of their home and their family. Um, and she may not have known this child intimately yet, but that is also part of the loss, the not knowing Um knowing that they should have been or could have been, um, but not knowing exactly who they would have been, you know, um, it's, you know, knowing that intimately and that, that is as ambiguous. Um, and maybe that's hard for us, you know, maybe as outsiders to sort of comprehend, uh, 
but really, as you said, it's a lifetime grief because, because they lost a lifetime with the person that they loved. And so I think it's important that, um, we have the correct understanding of what was lost when it comes to pregnancy loss. Um, and then, you know, I, I would say too, just to kind of back that up and, and drive that point home, uh, studies have actually shown that a woman's grief or a partner's grief is not worse the longer the pregnancy goes on. So there is not a correlation uh, that they could prove scientifically between the level of grief and, uh, you know, despair and uh, pain, um, like that does not correlate, uh, directly to the length. So a person at four weeks pregnant, scientifically, conceivably can have as intense of a reaction of grief as someone who lost a baby during birth at 40 weeks. Mm -hmm. And so we, as a culture, need to embrace that this is that this is true because it's not just um as i said the weeks the length of the pregnancy or the length of the gestation it is what were the hopes and dreams that the couple brought to this pregnancy um was there any trauma involved for instance thinking you're going to lose your life going into surgery um was there any trauma involved in the experience what kind of support um, did they have, you know, somebody who's lost a child at 40 weeks, who has all of the support in the world that goes on for months and months and months, um, are, is probably going to do better than someone at four weeks who feels like she can't tell a single soul that she had a loss and feels like she needs to walk this journey completely alone or worse, tell somebody about her loss and has it discounted, um, mm-hmm. and does not receive the support. So there's so much that goes into this experience, um, beyond gestation. As far as what people can do, um, there is a quote from Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. He is the author um, behind The Body Keeps the Score. Um, and he talks, you know, hit that book is a lot on, on trauma and how that affects our body and, and how we as humans experience it. And he says that true social support is actually the number one thing um, that can sort of interrupt or intervene in, uh, someone's trauma and promote healing. Um, or if it's lacking, if it's not there, then it's going to exacerbate that trauma and make it worse. But it's kind of like the number one most effective intervention is true support. And he says true support is, um, being seen, feeling heard, um, having a visceral feeling of safety. And so, uh, what we as supporters can do is we can see them. We can recognize their loss. I know you had mentioned, you know, how can the church specifically uh, recognize these couples that are experiencing this loss and even these grandparents, because grandparents are also affected mm-hmm. um, by the loss of babies. So how these hurting people, how can we see them? Maybe that means we recognize them on mother's day. Um, maybe mm-hmm. that means when we talk about family and the importance of family, we make space for the fact that there are people in our congregation that desperately want to have a family and can't. So maybe when we talk about children being God's blessings, we recognize that that isn't something that's earned. So it doesn't mean if you can't have a baby that God isn't going to bless you or that you have somehow, you know, you somehow don't deserve a baby. So, you know, in the sermons, how, how can we approach this? How can we make sure that these individuals are seen? Um, and then, you know, just person to person and in relationship, um, Am I looking to see their needs? Um, Am I asking uh, their support person, their coordinator, you know, how I can help? Am I um, actually going up to them rather than trying to avoid them because I don't know what to say? Am I willing to sort of embrace, right? Am I willing to embrace the awkwardness that that might be there? Um, You know, maybe because you don't know what to say. Um, Am I willing to, to embrace temporary discomfort, to allow someone else to have 
a measure of comfort in a world of their own hurt. Um, so are we seeing them? Are we hearing them? Um, so what we often do is, like I said, we want to say something to fix it. Um, and, and the reason we do that is because it gives us comfort as the comforters. If we feel like we can make them feel better, it makes us feel better. Right. It, it relieves our own discomfort in the situation. Um, but that's, that's actually not helpful to them. Often, um, often our words can hurt. Um, and so we need to be intentional about our words. Um, but, but we also need to understand that we don't have to offer a solution to this problem. And I think if we can just wrap our minds around that, that actually will provide a lot of relief for us to know that we don't have to know the answer. We don't have to provide an answer and we don't have to provide a solution. We can just show up and hear them um, and accept what they are hearing and not challenge you're saying and not challenging that, but just accepting that. And then are we providing a visceral feeling of safety? Are we making sure that their needs are met, that their lawn is mowed, that their dishes are being done, that there um, is food in the house? Are we offering to take their uh, living children, you know, to and from school uh, just to let them sleep in a little bit? Um, So a person can't start to even process their trauma until their body physiologically is out of that fight, flight, or freeze mode. Um, So we need to feel safe. Um, So people who are are hurting need to feel safe. They need to have their needs met in order for them to emotionally even start to address the trauma and the hurt. So that is another way that we can do that. Um, I kind of explain all of this a little bit more. I have a free chapter on my website. Um, It's a bonus chapter to the book, how to support a loved one through baby loss. And you can download that directly, but that goes in a little bit more into detail about um, what does it mean to, to offer true social support? Oh, that's a great resource. So yeah, we will definitely link to that. So that's on your website. Yes. Um, On unexpectingbook.com. Okay. I'm noting that so we can add that to our show notes. And, um, you know, a lot of the things that you say that would be good things to help and show love and support are things that you would do for someone after they have a baby and Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. is a newborn to care for. It's the same types of things, which I think might not cross your mind when there's not the active need to be caring for a newborn in the home, Mm -hmm. but there's still that same need for self-care. And what I have learned recently just in um, learning about other people that have gone through this kind of loss through reading your book is your body still believes that it's pregnant, looks pregnant for a while after this loss. And um, that in itself can be traumatic and can, is that, your experience. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's, there's such a wide variety of ways that our body can respond. Um, but we need to understand that a, a woman who has experienced the loss of a pregnancy is a postpartum mother. Yes. So the chemical shift that happens, that hormonal shift actually is the same, whether you're four weeks along or you're 40 weeks along. Hmm. So when, you know, once you've given birth, um, so once you've, your body has, has released everything and you are no longer pregnant, um, then your, your body, like your, your chemicals shift and it's, and it's the same, and it's going to affect your, your mind and your body sort of in it pretty much in the same way, no matter your gestation, Mm -hmm. um, things that can, you know, make it harder. There are missed miscarriages where your baby has passed away, um, or your baby has died and, uh, your body isn't recognizing that. Um, and 
you know, a lot of people think that a miscarriage is just like a one day event, like you just bleed and everything's fine. And for some people, their experience of loss can, can go on for weeks, um, um, months even of, of monitoring their blood work, making sure their blood work's going down, um, or their hormones are going down and, and sometimes necessitating a surgery after weeks of bleeding. So, it can be a very long and involved process. And then of course there's women who've given birth um, and their baby did not live and um, they still look pregnant, uh, you know, just as a, just as a postpartum mom often has a, you know, has a belly or their uterus doesn't contract right away. It's a process and it takes time. And so we need to recognize that um, any woman who's gone through a loss is a postpartum woman and deserves that level of support that we would give a brand new mom. In your book, you talk about how there's grief, which is something very specific and something that is definitely a part of the process, Mm -hmm. but that at some point your grief turned into something more Mm -hmm. and that, you know, that required extra support and kind of your process of recognizing that and going through that and the emotions you felt along the way. Um, How can women in general, I know it's hard to generalize because it's so specific, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but do you have any universal ways that women experiencing grief can know when that grief is strictly grief or when it's Mm -hmm. becoming either depression, postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, or some other kind of thing that, that might need extra support. Um, yes, I do. And I would actually like to credit, um, uh, Lindsay, um, Henke. she's, um, a social worker, <laughs> licensed social worker. Um, and she, you know, I, I interviewed her for the book, uh, for this purpose to kind of help me parse out, okay, what is the result of the, this hormonal shift? What is postpartum, um, like normal normal issues. And then there's postpartum depression and anxiety. And then there's also just grief on top of that. And so all of those emotions kind of get entangled and it can be really difficult to know, okay, am I just grieving the loss of my baby? And am I just have the hormones from being postpartum that, um, that is normal and appropriate and hard, but expected, um, or has it turned into postpartum anxiety or depression? And so um, Lindsay says, uh, these are kind of just a brief list of what you could look for, maybe that are red flags. So whether you're experiencing this or maybe you're listening to this and you know somebody who's recently gone through a loss so maybe you are a close support person to them. So maybe these are some red flags that you can kind of keep in the back of your mind of like things that you could look for. Um, The first is that your grief severely limits your ability to function day to day after about six months. Now, six months is not like this perfect timeline where all of a sudden, you know, one day you are deeply in grief and the next day you're functioning just fine. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but what that sort of saying is after a very significant amount of time, um, is your grief and your emotions so heavy that you literally cannot get out of the bed? Um, you literally cannot work your job at all, like in any capacity that you cannot care for yourself, that you cannot care for your children. So, um, I'm not saying, you know, you have to be happy and perfectly fine at six months. Um, but are you showing steps that you can start to function again? Um, even if it's just little bits here and there, um, or are you just completely unable to function? Um, if you need substances to cope, if you are not able to deal with your emotions without any kind of substance, um, that's a huge red flag. Um, this is going to be a tender one. So just, just sort of a trigger warning for anybody, a suicide trigger warning. Um, but if you feel you would be better off dead, this is also confusing because, um, Attachment theory says that we want to be with the person we are bonded to. Mm. So a woman is going to want to be with her baby and her baby is in heaven. And so many, many postpartum women um, who've experienced the death of their babies um, 
they will have desires to be in heaven with their baby. And that is precipitated by this urge to just be with their baby. This is not meaning that they want to hurt themselves or, um, you know, or die by suicide, like that they are, um, it's just sort of this attachment. It's this urge to be with the person that they love. Um, but if you're, if you're at a point where you actually feel like you are better off dead, or you're making plans to hurt yourself, or you have hurt yourself in any capacity, again, please call suicide, you know, the 1-800-SUICIDE, um, hotline, um, and, and get the support that you need. Um, again, if you have thoughts of hurting yourself, if you cannot experience joy at all. So, um, I don't, I don't know if anybody here who is listening has watched Steel Magnolias, but there's this, there's this scene, um, after, after the uh, burial of, uh, her loved one where she is deeply grieving and, um, you see this wide variety of emotion that even includes sort of laughter. Um, and so you can see that she's able to, even in the depths of her grief, like she's able to have a variety of emotions. And if you feel like you can't even have a moment of joy or a moment of laughter, um, then that would be really indicative that it's turned into something more. Um, if you're having intrusive thoughts that you don't want to have, um, or if you're dealing with psychosis, um, which is very, very rare, but it can happen um, in postpartum women, whether their babies have uh, lived or have died. So any one of those things are kind of red flags that that it is quite possible that that having additional support, uh, whether that's through um, therapeutic medicine or very specific counseling or even inpatient services, um, can can really be of help to you to help you kind of overcome um, or or work through the depression or the anxiety that's coming from this loss. Yeah, that's a very uh, easy first step is make an appointment with your primary care doctor and yes. let them know what's going on or your OB or whoever. Yeah, let them yes. know what's going on and have that be an easy first step for sure. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. It, you know, those postpartum screenings that they do at at, at uh, six weeks or even mm-hmm. the depression screenings, they don't accommodate for loss. Yeah. And so even doing those screenings, it can be hard. And so what's really important is when you make that appointment, um, you need to make sure that you communicate with your provider that you have experienced the loss of a baby um, and let them know when, mm-hmm. how far postpartum you are, because that that can affect how, um, I don't want to say how you're treated, but like the treatment options and, and kind of um, how, how they approach your, how they approach your situation and better support you. Absolutely. Well, we're running out of time. I had one last question to ask you before we talk about where to find you um, online. I just wanted to ask you about the importance of lament because that is one of your steps. And Mm -hmm. how in your life did that look? Was it um, as you were walking through the disappointment and grief, and I don't think disappointment can even encompass probably what you were feeling, despair and distrust of God at that point where you're, you know, you're re you talk in the book about kind of having to reassess your whole spiritual, uh, belief system really once Mm -hmm. you, you experience that loss. Um, so was it hard for you to even acknowledge God at that point, or did you take that disappointment to God? Um, or what did that look like for you in your life? So initially I did not take it to God. Initially I felt like my, like the expectation that God had for me was to respond in a way that I thought was a faithful response, which, Mm. um, kind of, if, if I could compare it, uh, you know, in the beginning of, of the book of Job, uh, Job says the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And so I felt like being faithful meant that I was spouting the words 
um, that, that I felt that God expected and that I felt that the church expected and my fellow Christian, um, you know, friends and family expected from me in order for me to be quote unquote, good Christian, Mm -hmm. um, person. And, um, the problem with that, of course, is that, uh, that's not how I felt. Um, in many ways, that's not how I felt. And, these losses, as you said, started to bring up these questions that I had in my faith. And to be honest, that was terrifying, mm-hmm. like just terrifying because I had, I had accepted Christ, um, when I was three and, uh, you know, was raised in a very, uh, conservative home, um, believe that I was, you know, following God faithfully all throughout that time, went to Bible school and got a degree in uh, Bible and theology. And, um, like, I just felt like my, my life at that point had not really seriously been challenged or my faith had not been challenged. Um, and so now here I was wrestling with things that maybe other people had wrestled with quite earlier in their life. But for me, it was sort of the first time and it felt so strange and it felt wrong and it felt unfaithful, um, to be, to be experiencing these doubts. So at first, you know, just kind of like if, if little flames were coming up, I'd be just, I'm just busy, like trying to keep it all down and just Mm -hmm. say like, like, no, I'm not going to think about that. I'm just going to continue, um, with my relationship as it is with God. And eventually maybe because of the amount of loss or how, how consistently I was experiencing the grief and the disappointment, um, I could no longer do that. Um, I realized that I, that I needed to actually look at my, at my doubts and actually look at my questions and that by doing that, I was being more authentic um, in my relationship with God. And I was being more honest. And, you know, if I truly believed that he already knows everything, then he already knows that these words I'm spouting are not the words that I actually feel in my heart. So, and I also realized, you know, that this, if you have a relationship with another, uh, another person, um, if that relationship is tenuous, if it's not strong, um, maybe it's just an acquaintance or something like you aren't going to go to that person and be like, you really hurt me. Um, I'm really like, I'm really struggling with what you did. Um, you probably would just say, oh, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Um, because you don't trust that relationship to be strong enough to endure, uh, any kind of tension. So it's the relationships that are stronger that you're like, okay, actually I'm hurt and I'm going to trust you and trust this relationship enough to say that I'm hurt and that, that I have some things I need to work on. And I have some, some fears and some doubts and like, we need to talk about this. Mm -hmm. And so me being honest with God was a bigger expression of faith, um, than me spouting the words that I thought that I thought uh, God wanted to hear. And so that is, that is still a process that I'm in. I do not want to, um, I don't want to sit here and, and lead anyone to believe that somehow I have wrapped all of this up, as you said earlier, in a, you know, in a beautiful bow, um, I haven't, I am still very much in the wrestling process, mm-hmm. but I guess the difference now is I'm okay with that because I know that that is, um, that is more authentic and that is more real for me to say, like, I'm willing to enter into the wrestling, um, than it is for me just to say, you know, I trust God. I, I believe everything happens for a reason. And, um, I will do, I will not question God or anything. I'm just simply going to praise him. And that is it. Nothing else. So I'm still in the wrestling. Um, sometimes that, sometimes I wish I were on the other side of this. Sometimes I wish it would go faster. Um, but I also recognize that, that even God did not uh, create the earth in one day. He didn't do it instantly. He is a God of process. And uh, if the Bible teaches us anything, that's that often people have to go on a journey and it takes time and it takes experience. And so I am on this journey and um, 
don't know how long it'll last, but I am trying to be at least faithful uh, through through the process. Well, I love your transparency and just the permission that that your honesty gives to other women that are struggling, that it's okay. You don't have to have it all together in a week or a month or a year or five years. Like you, as I I really believe that as long as we are taking whatever is inside of us to God, that he is pleased with that. And he, you know, just like any parent would be pleased with the mask coming off of our kids and the kids coming to us with, with questions and problems and feelings, no matter what those feelings are, because the communication is open. So thank you for being willing to say that and put it out there because there is a damaging kind of, I don't know, pressure, especially for good Christian women, you know, this (laughs) idea that in order to be a good Christian woman, you've got to have it all together and say the right things at the right time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of, um, I don't know, to, to make sure that, that, that isn't what people feel like is the standard they're being held to because that's Mm -hmm. fake. That's not real. That's not relationship and God knows anyway. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Anyway, thank you for sharing that. And yeah, I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Thanks for letting me share. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's um, let our listeners know where can they find out more about your books and your um, support group and your blogs and everything else online or on social media. So online, you can find my blog at uh, thelewisnote.com. And uh, you can find out more about the book, including where to purchase the book, um, which really you can get it most anywhere that books are being sold. Um, And that's unexpectingbook.com. And that resource that I had told you about, um, as well as the uh, first couple chapters, you can kind of get a good idea of what the book is about and what you can, what you will sort of leave the book with. that's on the website as well. And then on social media, you can find me at Rachel Lewis, speaker and author. And my, uh, my Facebook group is called, as you said, Brave Mamas. And uh, you can also find me on Instagram at um, rachel.thelewisnote. Okay, perfect. Um, well, how can we close in prayer for you today, Rachel? That is, that is a hard one. (laughs) Um, I suppose I would say um, that there are a lot of unknowns in my future right now that are challenging and I feel a lot of worry and stress over them, Mm -hmm. which is not particularly helpful because again, I'm in a situation where I don't have a lot of control. So I just need to really sort of surrender to the situation Mm -hmm. and, um, sort of take each day as it comes and, and work on being present, um, rather than trying to just embrace my worry and my fear over some of these situations. Okay. Well, we will definitely pray that for you. Thanks again. Thank you again so much for opening up, sharing this story and just, I know reaching so many women with just like a a hope and some clear instructions and support in the times that, you know, for women that are going through this kind of loss. So thank you for doing that. I know it's not easy. It can't be easy. I I don't know that it's easy, but I would say that it's worthwhile and, um, and it is an honor to be able to, to see someone else in their grief and to say, you know, that you are worthy of support. You're worthy of love and, um, you're not alone in this process. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to, um, walk with some other women through some of their hardest moments. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's pray. God, we just thank you for this time. Thank you for Rachel. Thank you for um, just the courage, the boldness to share this part of her life with, with other women. 
in all of these different ways through her words, through her writing, through support group. And we just pray, God, that you would amplify that message, that you would open doors for every single woman that needs to hear this to uh, grasp um, just some of the things that Rachel has learned along the way and, and to just feel seen and known and understood by other women um, who have gone through this kind of pain, Lord, we just, we pray that you would open those doors wide and allow these women to find hope through Rachel's words and through her, her ministry. God, we just lift Rachel up to you. You see everything. God, we just, we praise you that you are God and we are not, and that we have access to you as our shepherd, as our um, door opener and door closer. We just pray for Rachel, God, that you would give her the peace that transcends all understanding to guard her heart and her mind in Christ Jesus as she looks at uncertainty in the future, um, as she looks at just um, questions without answers right now, and help her to feel just your presence surrounding her securely, like a like a blanket, like a just a cloak of protection. Give her the, the confidence to keep putting one foot in front of the other, not knowing what's right ahead, but, but shining that light, like your word is a light to my feet, a lamp to my feet, a light to my path, God, just wherever you need to show her the very next step, show her that if it's your will. And when it's time to show her farther ahead, what needs to be done and decisions that need to be made and answers that need to be answered, um, we just, we pray you would do that as well. And just along the way that you would draw her closer to yourself. Um, we pray that you would show her glimpses, even when she can't see the future and what needs to be done, the things that are out of her control, that you would show her glimpses of you at work in very specific and mighty ways, ways that no one else could explain. And, and we just ask you to hold her and um, to continue to bring healing to the broken pieces of her heart, to continue to use the things that have caused her pain to, um, to grow your kingdom and to bring blessing to her and to her family and to others. Um, and, and we just pray, God, that you would be glorified in her life. And I just pray that you would pour out blessings on Rachel, on her family, her home, on her work. And just on the future, God, that you would accomplish immeasurably more than she could ever ask or imagine in the future. And that she would feel confident that you are in it and that there is nothing but good gifts waiting for her. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Praying Christian Women podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a comment to let us know what questions or topics we can address in future shows. Then hop over to prayingchristianwomen.com slash journal to download your free prayer guide. We're so glad you joined us for today's show, and we wish you God's deepest blessings as you draw closer to Him and change the world one prayer at a time.